The letter that changed the world. We're working our way through the book of Romans. This is part 18. And we're, we're halfway through the book, pretty much. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. Minding the flesh and minding the spirit. Romans 8, 5 to 11. I'll, I'll just read. For, that's an important word, whenever you see connectors, pay attention to them. They're very important words in Bible study. When he says for those who live according to the flesh, he means this is a continuation of something I've previously said. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Where, where does your mind generally rest? Not when you're in church, generally. Where does your mind land? What, what is its, what is its uh, default setting? Why is that important, Pastor Don? Well, verse 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death. So, so when I say, where, where does your mind, what's the default setting? Where does it rest? Where does it land? What I'm asking is, are you, are you trying to follow Jesus, but slowly killing yourself spiritually? Set the mind on the flesh is, see what he says? Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Even though it takes effort to do it, it's ultimately it's, it's, it's peace. It's the road to peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. And then he's, he's catching himself. Indeed, it cannot. It's not just that it doesn't, it, it can't. Eight. Those who are in the flesh, that doesn't mean this body because everybody's in one of those. That's talking about the, the mind, the orientation of, of the life. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, even though you live in a fleshly body. You're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, notice those are interchangeable, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. It's a, just such a clear claim to deity of Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, that is, to, to Christ. But if Christ is in you, just think about that phrase. So, so it's, it's more than holding a certain number of correct beliefs. We're, if Christ is in you, we hear it so much. Isn't, isn't there something overwhelming about that? So I'm standing here, and you see me, 
And, and Paul actually has the nerve to say, but there's, there's more than just me here. In, in me, Christ is. We should kick ourselves for the number of times we hear phrases like that and they don't make us go, wow, wow. The Spirit of Christ. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If what I said a minute ago is true, here's the consequence. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells who dwells in you. What a text. My goodness. That little conjunction for at the beginning of verse 5, which, by the way, the NIV omits, for I don't know why. It shows these verses are being linked with Paul's words in verse 4. There's a connector there. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? And so as Paul rather quickly refers to the change that had occurred in those who at one time walked according to the flesh, he wants to go on to prove that this condition, walking according to the flesh, That's not a problem that I can solve by myself. It's not a problem you can solve by yourself. And so it's in order to show both the greatness of the power of the work of Christ and the hopelessness of living according to the flesh, verse 5, Paul's going to go on to contrast. He's not comparing. You compare things that are similar. You contrast things that are different. He wants to contrast these two conditions. One, walking according to the flesh, and two, walking according to the Spirit. And remember, verse 4, and that's why that 4 at the beginning of verse 5 is important. Verse 4 tells us what's at stake in walking according to the flesh or the Spirit. He says in that fourth verse, it's only by walking according to the Spirit, apparently, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And if you read verses 3 and 4 together, it it expands the point by showing that walking according to the Spirit, it accomplishes what the law alone couldn't accomplish. If you read 3 and 4 together in chapter 8, it it says this. But God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, My flesh, your flesh, our our natures is what he's talking about, not the flesh you weigh on the scales. God has done, he's done something, okay? He's done something, what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do. How did he do this? Well, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? 
the flesh of Jesus on the cross. My sin got condemned in the flesh of Jesus on the cross. I don't pay the penalty. He paid the penalty. He bore God's wrath. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why did he do that? Why did God the Son willingly come and do that? Well, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All of that is what Paul wants to just go over again and reaffirm in tonight's study. So, point number one. The Christian is not merely a person who no longer does the things he used to do. I get that from verse 5 of chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's a highly significant verse. He describes both the pagan, as we would say, and the Christian. He describes them both, but very carefully and in a very particular way. Notice, he doesn't begin, as many of us would, he doesn't begin with what these people do, their deeds, the godless and the Christian. That's not where he starts. He doesn't start with an external difference. He starts with an internal difference. If you were in my Christian ed class, we talked about, about two words. Uh, last Sunday and this Sunday, the Christian life is, is organic, not external. And the comparison I gave in my class is um, you take your Christmas tree out of the box, or maybe you go and Chop one down. Jesus is born. Kill a tree. And so you go down there, you, you get your tree, you take it home, and the tree is dead, or it's plastic, or whatever. And you hang stuff on the tree. And you can make it look really pretty. But the prettiness isn't coming from the tree, right? You're just sticking the prettiness on the outside, but if you come around to my place and I've got rose bushes in the front yard and you look at them right now and you think there's never going to be life there ever, ever again. There's nothing but ice and cold wind and snow. And you just think it's all over. But you know what? You'll get a few warm days. You might even get some this month. Next month and the soil gets warm and you, and you see some little green things poking out of the branches of the rose bush. It doesn't look like much, but you wait a bit longer and you get little buds, and you wait a bit longer, and I've got beautiful pink flowers. All and you cut the grass, and you can smell the roses. And, and, and the life is coming from inside the bush, right? I'm not hanging it on like the Christmas tree. That's what he's talking about with the kind of change the Holy Spirit makes in our life. It, it's, it's a change that starts in the mind and in the affections. And it... And it drives us to God in a way that goes far beyond keeping a list of rules. Conversion isn't mechanical. It's not a mechanical change. It's not an external change. It's more than just moral resolve. You know, I ought to be kinder. I should control my temper. I should quit drinking. I should, you know, whatever it is. It's not that. 
I mean, it's as though Paul can't quite find words big enough to say what he wants to say. And, and the only solution he can find, it's a, good, it's a good move on his part. The only way he can sort of hope to show the miracle of the Christian life is by contrasting it with the pagan life. A life lived, 8-5, according to the flesh. And that life lived according to the flesh. It's not that it can't ever do good deeds. They can give money to the United Way. They can donate blood. They can care for people on the streets. They can clothe the naked. They can donate to, to, to medical centers. They can do all of those things. What they can't do is they can't become not dead to God. They can be interested in morality, but they can't make themselves alive and responsive to God. They're always minding the things of the flesh, 8.5. Without the Holy Spirit, we can only be one-dimensional people. That doesn't mean we only do bad things. That's not what it means at all. They may be quite moral in many areas. But there's nothing driving the life but the present desires of the self. Paul says they live their whole lives setting their minds on the things of the flesh. Their thoughts thoughts can't go out to any other destination. Their minds are set that way from sunrise to sunset. Significant verb, that one. They set their minds. You have company coming and you set your table. And you're getting everything ready for the company that's coming. So they set their minds. Their lives are prepared for the things of the flesh. Everything is geared to the flesh. They're they're motivated by the things of this world. They can't set their ambitions on eternity. Please understand, when Paul uses that term flesh, walking according to the flesh, verse 5, He doesn't mean the soft tissue that covers our skeletons. He he means life lived apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit. Life directed by personal ambition and ego. Personal desires. Even nice desires. And also, when Paul talks about living according to the flesh, he doesn't mean just the flagrant sins of the flesh. Adultery, homosexuality, murder, gluttony. He makes it clear in his descriptions of the sins of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Is that in your notes? Let's read it all together, okay? Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Let's read. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What I want you to notice in that list is there's both inward and outward things. And one isn't worse than the other. Some of these things break through to the surface of our lives. Sexual immorality, rivalry, drunkenness. Others never reach the outside. They, they lurk under the surface. Envy, idolatry. But this is the realm of the flesh. Okay, point number two. 
this picture of the walk of the flesh, it provides Paul with his best picture of the life of the Spirit. I get that in 8.5. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according, according to the Spirit... This isn't believing in the Spirit. It's living according to the Spirit. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So here's what Paul's doing. The life of the Spirit. You'll see it best when you understand it as the opposite of the life of the flesh. So, so just as the walk of the flesh is dominated by a mindset that is constantly set on the flesh, the desires of the flesh, security, popularity, esteem, prosperity, all of those things, those, those desires that everybody has. The life of the flesh is dominated by those things, and in the same way, the life of the Spirit, it, it sets the whole character of the life on the things of the Spirit. So that the difference Christ makes is, it's a comprehensive difference. A complete difference. I said in the first point that the Christian isn't merely a person who no longer does certain bad things. I mean, that's true as far as it goes. But it doesn't get at the essence of the Christian life. It's preamble for the Christian life. Paul says that lives lived according to the Spirit... They set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5. These people are are possessed by an ever-increasing interest in the things of the Spirit. They, They start to dominate the affections more and more. They play a bigger part in the thought life, the goals, the aspirations. And this this comes in increasing measure. If you were in church this morning, Second Peter. If these things are yours and are increasing. That's the life of the Spirit. This is the key to understanding everything else Paul's going to say about the Christian. And and his new relationship to the law of God in the next three or four verses. They're pretty involved verses. There's this idea of having our minds set on the Spirit. That's the only way to understand what Paul said about the Christian and the law. If you went back to 8.2, you'd read these words. For the law of the Spirit of life, that's the things of the Spirit, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So, So through this inward work of the Holy Spirit... There's, there's a set free, he says. There's, there's a different approach to life. The Christian doesn't live life as he follows the Lord. He doesn't just see it as a list of duties or a series of traditions. He, his, his mind gets to like these things. His affections get drawn in. He's pulled into these things. They, they become the chief interest in his life. So, so what I'm saying is he doesn't, he doesn't read his Bible and go to church to find out just how to be a better father or husband 
or a more ethical businessman. I mean, all of that will happen over time. But his delight is in the things of the Spirit for themselves. He's drawn to, to God. His mind is turned to another realm altogether. He's, he's concerned with his relationship to God, not just with improving himself. Three. This inward change, this inward change of heart, it produces a righteousness where there was once rebellion and life where there was once death. I get that in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 8. That's where Paul says this. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It can't help but be hostile to God. And he's going to explain why in a minute. For it does not submit to God's law. The mind set on the flesh will resent God because it will sense the law of God pressing it into holiness that it does not embrace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, those, those verses, 6, 7, 8, 9, they're explaining something. Stay with me here. They're explaining more fully something Paul has just said in verses 2, 3, and 4. We looked at these verses earlier. For the, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That law of sin and death. Law of sin and death. What is that? Is that the law of God? He's going to explain. Verse 3. For God has done what the law, same law, weakened by the flesh. So the problem isn't with the law. The problem is with me. The law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So I see the law of God, but in my condition, I don't love it. I resent it. Because what it does is it tells me I'm a sinner. It tells me I'm not measuring up. And I don't like seeing that. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin, my sin, in his flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now, think about this. In, in plain words, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit accomplishes something in my life that the law of God doesn't. That's what he's saying. When the commandment, the law, any one of them, when the law comes to people who are in the flesh, it comes to people, 8-7, who are hostile to God. And hostile people aren't interested in serving God. And so the law comes and it only deepens my resentment toward God because it exposes my love affair with the world and with self. And so those who have their minds set on the flesh, for those people, the law becomes, it turns into a law of sin and death, 8.2. And that's why Paul says, 8.8, those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. It's quite a dilemma. 
because it's all of us. We're fallen. And if all God does up in heaven is say, now, people, I'm willing to give you all another chance. Imagine this. I'm willing to give you another chance. Um, Here's a list of rules. Don't ever get angry. Don't think any bad thoughts. Don't think any proud thoughts. I'm watching you. Don't think any proud thoughts. Don't think of yourselves better than anyone else. Never covet anything. In all the things you buy, don't ever love any of it too much. I'm watching. Don't ever let your mind wander when Pastor Don's preaching because I can see your thoughts and I'm seeing whether you pay attention or not. I'm watching you. Now, that's just a tiny little list of things. Imagine an infinitely holy God, and here, here's, here's the book. Do I want all these things. Will we make it? Anybody here going to make it? And I'll tell you what, we're all going to say, that is just not fair. We will resent that. That law, all of it, will become a law of sin and death to us. It's not that the rules are bad. It's just, you know, you might as well give a chimpanzee an encyclopedia. It's just not going to work. It will not work. But what if God does something else? What if God says, what I'm going to do I could give you a million rules and regulations and it won't help you one bit. How about if I do this? How about if I come and I put my spirit in your heart so that you feel terrible when you sin and you want to you want to love me and serve me? What if I give you a heart that loves serving me rather than a heart that resents serving me? What if, what if I change the part of you that is the real problem? And we would all say, that's the way to go. The question is, is that what the Bible offers? The prophet Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. The prophet says, And I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. God's doing it all, right? There's no activity on our part here. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. And now you start to see the difference between a mind that's set on the flesh and a mind that's set on the spirit. It doesn't make me perfect, but it orients my life so that I'm, it's not just pursuing righteousness, it starts to prefer righteousness. There's a, there's a change in nature that comes. Paul will say later in the New Testament, God puts his seed, John says the same thing, his seed in us. 
A new life starts to grow. You all see that biological imagery. Four. We're almost done. In view of all this, the difference between Christians and non-Christians isn't just a matter of ideas. Eight, nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. It's not just aware of the Spirit. In the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's the natural conclusion from all that Paul has been teaching in this chapter. It isn't religion that separates Christians from non-Christians. It isn't works of charity. It isn't church membership. It isn't family background. It isn't moral upbringing. It is the inward presence of the Holy Spirit that causes us to mind the things of the Spirit. Five. This transforming work is not complete yet, but it is certain. I get that in verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, and we're all going to die. But if Christ is in you, and it's like he, he recognizes, even though the body is dead because of sin, that hasn't been changed, but the Spirit is still life. The Spirit in you is still life. There's implications to that. This body, this physical body will die, but there's the Spirit of Christ in here. And the Spirit of Jesus doesn't die, right? This is life, the Spirit of life. That's a beautiful phrase for a dying person. To have the Spirit of life inside is everything. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus, that's His body, from the dead dwells in you, Here's, here's, here's the logic, and it makes perfect sense. That spirit raised Christ. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Why? Well, because it's the same spirit. So while Christians are dissimilar to non-Christians in so many ways, Paul finishes this section dealing with one way in which we're all the same. Christian, pagan. We live in physical bodies. We live in bodies that have limited capacities. The spirit of life is in us, but the flesh, the body, it remains mortal. It's still mortal. And so we don't have yet the full harvest of our redemption. What we do have, though, is a certain hope. And Paul gives the reason. The spirit who has come to work internally in these physical bodies of ours is the same spirit who raised Jesus' body from the dead. And that same spirit will do the same thing with my body. The Holy Spirit does not throw bodies away. He didn't leave Christ's body in the grave, and he didn't come into your body to leave it in the grave either. You start to see the difference that it makes having the Spirit of Christ in you, don't you? It's an enormous difference. It's an enormous difference. 
This is worlds different from me trying to just, you know what, I'm just going to try and be a nicer person. Well, good for you. But you're going to die, and without the Spirit of Christ, you need that life in your heart. Does that make you happy that the Spirit of life is in you, the one that raised Jesus is going to raise you? Yeah, yeah. 